I'm going to do something that I probably I don't think I've ever done, but I'm going to read a very long passage of scripture with probably minimal, um, you know, comment. So my hope is that we can take a pause from everything that's happening in our life and try to enter the story of Christ crucified for us. And so if it will help you, you can, you can close your eyes or whatever. And again, perhaps with minimal comment, but from Luke's gospel, I just want to read some of the events that lead us to Good Friday. Peter has just disowned Jesus. Jesus has been arrested late on a, on a Thursday night, gone through a mock trial. It says, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him. You just have to think right there if you have a child, you know, and you watch some people mocking your child, just mocking them, not even physically touching them yet, but just making them feel stupid and then beating them. And they blindfolded him, demanding, prophesy, who hit you? And then they added many other insulting things at daybreak. So this went on all night. Now it's Friday. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you are right in saying that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. We said many times the Jewish community had their own little tribunal, but they were not allowed to crucify someone that was reserved for the Romans. So now they're leading him to Pilate, a Roman governor. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. You get it? They have to trump up something of a charge that's worthy of, you know, crucifixion in the Roman mindset. He's not paying his taxes. And he claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here, meaning Jerusalem. On hearing this, Pilate asked if he was a Galilean. 
When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had wanted to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who incite, is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him, and then I will release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. For if these things, for if these, if, if men who do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when the tree is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. Along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are here punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who gathered to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come, from, come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. I wanted to read the whole story because I wanted you to get a sense of what it's like to be the victim, a true victim. And in the middle of the story, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Throughout the story, we get told over and over and over again that he was innocent, that this wasn't fair, that this wasn't just, that this wasn't right. 
I mean, we just don't have to reach that far to find some identification with the story. Everyone here has been treated poorly at some point in your life. Everybody got a raw deal at some point. Everybody got forgotten or didn't get promoted or whatever the situation was, you didn't get paid. We all know what that feeling is like. Perhaps tonight, what we want to take away from here is not that we're surprised that we suffer. I was talking with a friend last night, and he said, you know, someone always told me one phone call can change your life. And he said, I don't think I ever believed it until I got one, until I got that call. We shouldn't be surprised that we suffer, but we need, know how, need to know how to suffer well. So I'm going to just give you three things. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. How do we suffer well? Let's not be surprised anymore. If Jesus is our leader, and over and over and over again in the Scripture, we realize that this is there for us. If what happened to him... I can say for sure, will never happen to me on that level. And I could never claim his level of innocence, by the way. But surely, unjust or unfair things are going to happen. And you get, you get an option. Look here. You get an option. It's this path right here. It's pouting and bitterness and blaming and anger. And I will take you somewhere. And in your heart, you feel like, yeah, but I'm giving it to people. I'm letting people know. And all of what you don't realize is your own soul is just shriveling up and dying. And then there's another way. And it's just a simple word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Toughest thing you'll ever do in your life. It's the toughest thing you'll ever do. And it's the most necessary. There's no reason to do it. The reasons to do the other. The reason is to get mad. The reasons to get even. The reasons to pay back. The reasons to let know, let people know. And Jesus is silent, and He's there, and He trusts it into your hands. I commit my spirit. It's as if we could take these statements from Jesus, if we could say them every day in our life. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can say, well, Pilate knew what he was doing. He was, I mean, he, he was playing the, you know, he, he was working the crowd. Jesus could see past all that. He goes, no, they don't, none of them know what they're doing. You have to be pretty spiritually perceptive to say something like that, to realize they don't know what they're doing. Just forgive them. Just let it go. Got the little four-year-old in the house, and so we're getting ready for Good Friday service, you know. That's something to explain it to a four-year-old. Why did Jesus die? She wants to know. She wants to know. That's hard to explain to a four-year-old. I mean, if you have any advice afterwards, I would love it. You know, I, well, you know, there were some mean people, and, you know, we decided not to soft-pedal it. We decided that they killed him. So good's coming, though, honey. Good's coming. How many know good's coming? Good's coming. 
And that's what you have to remember. To be a person of faith, you have to know good's coming. I think Desmond Tutu wrote the book. I think it was his book. It's, it's, there is no future without forgiveness. I mean, that says everything. There is no future. Either you decide to make yourself an eternal victim, bitter, angry, resentful, hatred, all this always a brewing kind of a anger at people and things around you, or you choose the path of forgiveness. It's not based on worthiness. I mean, no, what we like to do how many of you know, like starter forgiveness? Most of us learn starter forgiveness. Like if they come up and say they're sorry, you know what I mean? And I can sense it, that it's sincere. This is how we, right? We've completely misunderstood what forgiveness is. It's not, it's not based on merit. There's no one saying, Jesus, could you forgive us? It's nothing to do with merit. It's just, it has to do with grace. It's just, has to do with just letting it go. Can you imagine all the things that Jesus could have been thinking throughout this whole long ordeal about where God could have stepped in here or could have stepped in here? Have you ever played that video in your head where, God, you could have stepped in here, you could have stepped in here? Into your hands I commit my spirit. In some ways, those are the two greatest phrases you'll ever say in your life. Father, forgive them. And into your hands I commit my spirit. If you can say those two and mean it, you're free. My friends, you're free. You're there. How do you suffer well? You don't retaliate. As it says in 1 Peter, you entrust yourself to God. I just, what's the saying? Give it to God. I entrust myself. That's hard to do. We used to, you know, like laugh and make jokes about controlling people. Anybody here know a controlling person? And, the, and then the reason is like people kind of look around like very close to you in the pew there or the green chair or whatever they are. And, the, and the rea- here's the reality about controlling. Let me just explain the reality. The reality is all of us are controlling. We just like controlling different things. Some of you like to control the remote. Some of you like to control what we're having for dinner. Some of you like to control the checkbook. Some of you like to control the calendar. Some of you like, is this true? We're all controlling. We just like to control different things. And one of the greatest things is when you get to the place in your life where you just, you you stop. Certainly, God gave you brains and hands and feet to to control and to to manage a lot of things. But, boy, it's deceptive because you have to get to a place you realize, into your your hands I commit it. That's very freeing. Anybody stressed out? Think about this. It says when he he was praying, I didn't even have time to add the chapter before. When he was praying, he's sweating, as it were, drops of blood. You talk about stress. But he's just giving it to God. To suffer well means to give it to God. And to suffer well 
is to let God change you when it happens. The end of the story we're going to find out on Sunday. But Jesus is transformed. And your story is not over here. But suffering always can teach us something if we're listening. Always. Yeah, but Chris, but it wasn't my fault, though. I think God wanted to teach this person. You let God talk to other people. Is this, is this true? We always want God to talk to everybody else. It's, yeah, but, but, but I was, it was done wrong to me. That's not, the, that's not the point. It always can transform you. In fact, I will say this. Perhaps nothing helps us grow more than suffering. That's something to think about. Like, you know, when I went to church, I was just taught, like, if you just read the Bible and pray a lot, you're good. And I believe in both of those things, very much so. But no one ever told me that suffering was a part of it. And yet that's the center part of the whole story. He suffered. And he suffered unjustly. But when we suffer... Something opens in us, listen, that can't open another way. I mean, when these guys start singing, like something, I don't know about you, but it depends on where you grew up, but like something opens in my heart when they start singing those songs that my grandma sang to me. Something opens in my heart. Sometimes I read a scripture and maybe my heart will open, but it's not, not the same as when you suffer, man. It just breaks you wide open. And all real change in our life, all real transformations in here. So this has to open. God is doing something good in and through your life. But for us to really experience it, we have to identify with the suffering of Christ. Let me read it, and we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. First Peter, to this you were called, chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And it goes on to say, and by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. There's some power. The worst thing I think we could do is to think that well, if we just take the right path, we'll never suffer again. To be surprised by suffering. Unfortunately, it's just a part. But what we can do is suffer well. And what we can do is grow and learn everything that God has for us when we do suffer. So that, so that, when we come out on the other side, huh, it'll be all resurrection. That's how the story ends. So we're going to take the Lord's...
just as God's forgiveness to us is not on our worthiness, but on his love and his grace, so our forgiveness is on the same system. We want to stay on the same plan. Freely you have received, freely give. I want to share something with you just to give you a thought as we end Good Friday service and prepare for Easter. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scars. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sundays come. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross. Feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's come. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has come. And Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. 
but it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a cup. And we know it ends good. All right, let's stand. We'll have a closing prayer together. Our loving God, we thank you for this very, very sacred day we call Good Friday. Good because love wins over evil, over hate, grace wins over judgment. And God, we pray today that as we pause tonight to reflect on your suffering, that you will give us grace in our life to suffer well, to forgive freely, and to entrust, entrust our lives into your care, knowing that you will care for us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here today.